Welcome to the Prolific Pulse Poetry Podcast. Today we have special guest Maxima Khan. She'll be reading her poetry from the Meeting with Poets Connection. And then we'll have a second segment with her um, where she and I did a one-to-one interview. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss this. Maxima Khan is a writer of poetry, essays, and fiction. Her debut collection of poems, Fierce Aria, was published by Finishing Line Press in 2020. Her work has been featured in numerous literary journals and on popular blogs. It's been twice nominated for Best of the Net. She has received scholarships and fellowships to the community of writers at Squaw Valley and the Vermont Studio Center. Her popular workshops and one-on-one mentoring in poetry, creative writing, and the artist's way have helped hundreds of people to unleash their creative gifts, realize their aspirations, and create lives of passion, purpose, and deep play. Having taught formerly at the University of California, Davis Extension, she now teaches and blogs at brilliantplayground.com. You can get intimate insider access to your creative projects and process at patreon.com forward slash Maxima Kong. She's also an improvisational violinist and award-winning composer and dancer. So I want to thank you again for participating in today's meeting at Poets Connection. And I want to ask you, what is a motivating factor for writing poetry for you? Mm, mm, that's a good question. I loved all the things that Larry said about poetry, that it was music to my ears. Um, uh, what is a motivating factor? I've loved language and poetry my whole life, actually. I was really entranced by poetry as a kid um, and from then on. Um, so I don't really know how to answer that other than, um, I know that I am only happy when I'm creating, really. I, I always have to be creating. And, um, and I was really, my dad would recite poetry from memory when I was a kid. And I thought that that was like pure magic. It was just totally amazing to me that someone could do that and these incredible fascinating words would come spinning out. Um, So I think that's where the seeds were sown. One of the fun things about the the virtual stuff, of course, I really miss being in a room with people, but uh, it is so great to sort of virtually travel across the country and around the world and meet other people. So that part I'm loving. I'm going to start with a poem called Autumn Blues because I have been quite blue this past week. And uh, as we know, we are entering autumn here. So even though this poem was written um, in late autumn, uh, it speaks to that time as it's almost turning to winter. But um, Autumn Blues. Autumn has put on its brittle shell or taken off half naked and too skinny in a rust-colored negligee, the oaks strip teased to the high ice music of the shifting pallor of the sky. The photograph captures an instant, story captures a thread. Nothing's gospel, just a little reflected radiance, motes drift in a shaft of sun. That's what our lives are. We're not after unvarnished truth. Truth, yes, 
but varnish is what we're all about. The glossy veneer, protective coat, the sun in hiding now, the Sierra dreaming of snow. So far, there's just this gold and copper lingerie strewn on the forest floor, scattered on the green altar of the outstretched arms of cedar, a counterfeit clothing for these evergreens. What is revealed in this paring down? What gets unhoused in me as autumn's candle sputters? Some small ache burrows, a mole in the dark seeking comfort, isolation, as the temperature drops and the holidays begin their unstoppable procession. Movies, books, a nap on the couch, anything will do to elude this feral feeling. Winds of the season, nothing more. And um, the next poem I want to read is called Bridge. And it's really, I chose it for today because it's really about the, the common ground that we all share as human beings, which we seem to be losing sight of uh, that common ground lately. Um, and I want to dedicate this reading today to the memory of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and John Lewis. So, Bridge. What is it we are after on this bridge in the frozen solitudes? What simple act of kindness will bind us forever? What is it might solve us, absolve us? What brilliant glimmering now gone? Which, how shall we survive the tempest that swirls around our thin boat? How are we to live in such a gale of grief and becoming? Where is the rock, that stalwart homecoming we could cling to? Where is the break between the clouds? Where is anything wholly good that doesn't evaporate or wind up forgotten among a pile of weeds and bills? We ache with the same ache. We burn dimly with the same knowing. We are alive with the same turbulent blood. Dreams swim in our eyes. Our hands reach for the same touch. And I thought I would read that, um, the poem that the, the title of the collection, Fierce Aria, comes from. Um, it's actually the second poem in the book. It's called Harbor Song. And the book is, um, because I am a musician, um, music is incredibly important to my life. And the book is set up in three sections that are like musical movements. Um, and so this is from the first section, uh, that, that section is called Andante Cantabile, um, Harbor Song. It sort of speaks to the way that I experience life as music and how that music that I hear in the world both kind of terrifies and inspires me, gives my life meaning. Um, and it's kind of a poem to myself to say, I have to be who I am. Yeah. Listen, I have to trust the wind that blows through me, nearly blows me out. The body's ballad full of suppressed anger and shimmer. Constant song out over the harbor like the bell of a lighthouse off again, on again, like the light cutting fog. Listen. The music glides unriveted to any solid thing, pours down from some heaven or haven, all agate and azure and mist we can't catch. 
The oceans drenched him, swallowing whatever identities I once clutched, ribbon now, tide taking the no longer beautiful, turning it to sand or brushed bottle glass, color of bruise. Strange ghost, it transforms as it makes its transit. I'm afraid of its sway and tidal power, its unhinged and unhinging movement. I'm afraid of the melody moving like dark water through my bones, annihilating while restoring me whole. Yet I am washed or I am nothing. Life is furious song or it is emptiness. This wrenching grace, fierce aria is all. So on a, on a little more uplifting note, I want to read a poem from the third section of the book. The third section is called Allegro Grazioso, which means uh, in, in musical terms, it's lively and graceful. Um, so uh, this poem's called Making It Enough, and it attempts to answer that nagging question that I feel like most artists ask themselves, is it enough what I'm doing, making my little poems or my paintings or my songs or whatever they are? At least it certainly nags at me, is it enough? So I try to kind of respond to that here in this poem, Making It Enough. And there's a little quote in German near the end, Rumen das Ists, it comes from a poem from Rainer Maria Rilke, and it means to praise, that's it, or that's where it's at, yeah? Making it enough. Clatter of insects, whir of a little bird, urgency of the body, it's unending thirst for pleasure, tastes luscious on the tongue, textures that flatter the hand, rich aromas, lush harmonies, melodies that clutch your heart, dissonance that grips you to the edge you teeter on just before orgasm, electric guitars scream and throb, all this coming into being and dying, all this ecstasy and hurry and regret, all this need and questing and questioning, all this love burnishing everything. It is enough, the love of beauty, the love of love, words that melt and ooze when rolled in the cavity of the mouth, the eye that lingers over curves, patinas, luster, glow. It is enough to praise, rumen das ist, and praising to stand in a state of grace at one with the teeming world. Okay, I, I think I, I want to read a, a kind of a little bit longer poem, which is slight, slightly tongue-in-cheek, um, but, but also serious, called Changing the Scene. Changing the Scene, because there's this gap, inevitable, between what we believe and what we do. Be, because we set our ideals among the branches, the high branches, while our feet keep tracing these circles on the ground, our feet of clay. And we believe so deeply, but there are circumstances, no, both beyond and well within our control. And we would like so much to be good. And we also want so very much to be bad. We are obsessed with freedom, with choice, and this is where the unraveling begins, in that sway between reality and the inner singing. 
the ideals look so pretty, all dressed up in their white bows, their Sunday school clothes, but they are not what they seem. Then life, of course, is nothing like what it seems. We are in a state of perpetual bewilderment, and we are holding the two things, the ideals and the actual swaying. One is like some incredibly tall and unsteady building you have to crane your neck to see up the side of, so you feel alternately nauseous and exhilarated. And the other is like some ocean, endless and dark, and we are stumbling around on the ocean floor, kicking up sand dollars and bumping into coral and whales while we think we should be swimming, but in fact, we are those self-same ragged claws. Which is not to say the position we find ourselves in is so bad, though it's different from the view we thought we'd have from the top of that skyscraper, depending on how you position yourself. But my point is you don't get to position yourself because the positioning happens of its own accord for you, as it were. So what we are doing is more like a continual repositioning in relation to something, we don't know what, that is continually moving the pieces, changing the scene. And the result, well, there is no end result, is some elaboration, not quite intended, with a kind of allure and a kind of disappointment, with something sort of funny and something terribly sad and something that is a great relief. This elaboration, look at it closely, swaying, blue, isn't it more or less poetry? Thank you. I haven't tried doing that one in a long time, so. I have a comment um, for you. Sandy yeah. says, it's such a stunning book. I've had it for a week since um, Maxima read on the weekly program I host, enjoying this reading this morning from Washington. And then the, the poem that you read before this one, she says, Bravo, that is such a poem. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Sandy. I love, I love Sandy. <laughs> oh, great. All right, so I want to do a poem um, called Another Dose of Pleasure. It's for Mark Doty. If you don't know Mark Doty's poetry, you should run right out and buy his books because he's totally astonishing. I've loved his work for years and it's a huge inspiration to me. Um, but this one I wrote after I, I heard um, him give this uh, land in literary series reading and lecture. Um, and he was reading from his really heart-wrenching memoir about losing his longtime beloved to AIDS. It was about caring for him while he was sick and then um, the, uh, the death and the grieving process. So he, he read these, these wrenching passages from the memoir and then the interviewer asked him, what do you want now in your life? And Mark Doty answered with one word. He said, more. And I was totally blown away by that answer after all he'd been through. Um, and so that inspired this poem, Another Dose of Pleasure for Mark Doty. It's in two sections. One, ravaged by grief and loss by losing, he nursed his lover through the diminishing hours, watching and recording as one's cherished faculties, loved pastimes were stripped away and life revealed itself to be perilous, inconstant, perplexing, unspeakably beautiful. 
as friends and acquaintances fell in startling numbers in the same unstoppable plummet toward death or bereavement. Those were the choices then. He wrote, refusing to be silenced as the sea corroded the dunes and the dunes in answer broke out in resplendent bloom. As storms trashed the harbor, the seaside town, then left it glittering, somehow more radiant in the morning light. Tell me where they end, he wrote, observing how fog blurs the line between land and sea, sea and sky, observing how the edge of death is made hazy by love. And when it had all been taken, burned, hollowed out, and he woke and saw the sea still shimmering, the sky an unrepentant blue, he asked for just one thing, more. Two. This is our life. We take it on and wear it, ragged kimono of glittering threads, trustworthy sheath and companion. Our own peculiarities as familiar and warm to us as bread, as smooth stones rubbed long between our hard hands. We learn by doing. This is the inescapable rhythm, its bitter tang of truth. How could we do otherwise, but take what's given, swallow it whole, greedy for more, another dose of pain, please, another dose of pleasure. So this one's called Where Everything is Music. It's inspired by a quote from a Rumi poem, we have fallen into the place where everything is music. Yeah, I love that place <laughs> when, I, when I fall into it. And, um, and this poem sort of reminds us that that place is here now always, even when we're feeling at our worst, it's always just there, a breath away. Where everything is music, we have fallen into the place where everything is music, Rumi. How often the heart shatters, as if shattering were its purpose. Shards rain as a loved one leaves, as a new revelation tears me open, as I mourn the self I failed. Who knew wider had no limit? Who knew rawness? is the heart's condition. All this pouring light would bring such fullness, I merely choke on love. I am swimming and drowning at once, head barely above water, then not above, life nearly wiping me out. Yet here in these waves, I believe I can hear fragments of luminous song. Thank you. And I'm going to put in a little plug for my Patreon page. If any of you want to come join me on Patreon, it's a very cool place where artists are crowdfunded, where you can join for as little as $3 a month. And um, it gives you insider access to my creative life. I share my work in process and how I create my work and uh, sort of the ups and downs of my creative life. And uh, and one of the things you'll get is this beautiful postcard of Where Everything is Music, which I will send to you with a note just for you if you join me there. So um, I'd love to see you there. It's patreon.com slash MaximaCon. And I'll finish with this poem, You Have Permission. 
Mm -hmm. um, one of the things in my work as a teacher, I feel like one of the, there, there's really two key aspects to my work. One is listening and the other is giving permission. So this poem's called, You Have Permission. You have permission to want beauty, to press it into the bone, to gather in the storm howling into the wind, to want manna and a heaven to shelter us, to long for the warm tide of arms, to believe in the broken bones mended, to cast in stone and bronze, to know you are separate in the same breath, one, how fragile the illusion of the body is, to dance inside your clothes, you can't help it. We are strung beads on God's necklace, learning a new old language of love. No matter how you stumble over your feet, over forms, there's a deeper freedom, a stronger grace. If you look up in the sky, do it now. Birds, clouds, moon, or inside your own hollow body, you will know what I mean and come running into this vast embrace. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you so much for presenting. Does anybody have any questions or comments to make? Just wanna just wanna applaud. It was awesome. Thank you. It was really a pleasure listening to everyone's poetry. Everyone's. Very, very impressive. We'll be right back with more of Maxima Gone. Welcome to the second half of the Prolific Pulse Poetry Podcast of the interview with Maxima Khan. I interviewed Maxima after the Poets Connection meeting, the meeting in which she read her poetry and just got to know each other. It's kind of like sitting down and having a cup of coffee together, only she's in California and I'm in North Carolina. Listen now to what we have to share. So now you um, are the daughter of two philosophers, but yet you hate philosophy, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I like to say I hate philosophy, um, and I, I kind of do in, in the sense of like the, you know, Aristotle and whatever, the, <laughs> the, the published philosophers, you know, the, the sort of formal study of philosophy, I really do not uh, I I have I've done none of it and I have sort of hives about it having grown up around it but um but the thing I do acknowledge that I really got from my parents is that I am deeply philosophical I mean sort of to the core and so are my poems and in in that sense of course I don't hate philosophy I mean I really appreciate that sort of deep inquiry into the big questions of life. And I appreciate that my parents gave me that. Right. It, you know, I noticed that with your poetry, it's you are digging deep. You really are. And you really are um, challenging the reader to, you know, ask the question, you know, and to, to take a look inside. And I think that's, that's remarkable. You know, that's, that's one of the things we do as poets is, you know, get people to think you know, a little bit about some things and look at things in different kinds of ways. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think so too. I think we're inviting that and inviting people to feel more deeply and to to just kind of come alive to the world inside and outside. Right, become a, a real human being. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> now you said that you it took you about 10 years working on this um, manuscript or for developing the manuscript. It um, did. So tell me about that, tell me about your journey. Yeah, um, I, it was 10 years from when I started to assemble it. So um, I started, you know, uh, in 2010, I, I had already been thinking for several years, I need to put together a book of my poems and people had been asking for a book at readings. And so in 2010, I started to make lists of which poems I might want to include. And I put together that year, the first version of the manuscript, which looks nothing like <laughs> what we see today. And it had a different title and every everything was different about it. Um, but that was my first attempt. And, um, and I, after assembling that manuscript, I sent it to 10 friends, a combination of poets and readers of poetry, and asked for a sort of very specific feedback. I asked a series of questions, and their answers completely disagreed with one another. And that <laughs> froze me for a long time. I was really, really confused by that. Like, I don't know what to do now. Um, and so I kind of just put it away and ignored it for quite a while and then came back to it and, and started working on it again and um, re-looking at the order. And so then off and on for 10 years, I would work on it some and then ignore it. There were several years in there where I ignored it completely. Um, but then somewhere about, I think it's 2015, but I'm losing track. I really dove into it heavily and um, started hiring editors to help me work on the book. Um, and um, so that was several years of working with various editors, very painful <laughs> process, painful to, um, to sort the feedback, much of which wasn't right for me. But eventually, I landed on an editor who was really great and who, Annie Finch, who I worked with intensely on the book um, and uh, intensely revising all of the poems and reordering and really thinking about the arc of the book. Um, yeah. So, so that was that process. And then I think it was about two years of sending it out um, to contests before I uh, settled with Finishing Line Press. Okay. Well, well you uh, put a lot into this and it certainly has resulted in a beautiful book. Absolutely. Thank you. Hmm. Now, I understand that you have, and I've looked at your website for brilliantplayground.com. Can you tell us a little bit about that, what you do with this? Sure, I would love to. So Brilliant Playground is um, the home of my teaching work in the world and of um, 
my blog related to that teaching work I call the blog Creative Sparks. And um, Brilliant Playground is really a home for artists and dreamers and creative people of all kinds. Um, the work I do uh, in my classes, workshops, and one-on-one -on -one coaching and mentoring is working with, um, yeah, with artists and dreamers um, to help them unleash their creativity, to discover and foster their unique gifts in the world, and to um, identify their heart path and what their deep heart and soul dreams are, and then to teach them the tools to actually live those dreams, which has been a longtime passion of mine, studying that and and teaching that. So, and I also teach creative writing classes and poetry classes um, as well. Yeah, that's great. That's great. It's it's great to have someone to. It sounds like it's kind of like coaching, you know, helping other people, you know, realize their potential in finding that they can get over the hurdles that they're facing. Exactly. Yeah, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching and I do a lot of groups as well. And it is very much about, uh, yeah, both both very practical nuts and bolts, like how do we foster and sustain a creative life in the midst of all of life's other challenges and distractions, but also a lot of inner work. How do we overcome our demons, our doubts, our fears, our limiting beliefs and behaviors? Wow, that sounds really interesting. Now, do you, since we're dealing with the virus, um, do you do all of this virtually or do you have um, live sessions? How's that work? Right now it's all on Zoom, it's all virtual. Um, I used to do a combination of in-person and on um, virtual, um, but now it's, right now it's all virtual, yeah. I think that the virtual has, has kind of helped me to be a little bit less isolated, you know, during these times. I've actually really enjoyed getting on the Zoom meetings and such because, um, you know, as a writer, I tend to isolate myself, and yet I do like to talk to other people that write. So yeah. this gets me out there, gets me out of my comfort zone, and it's a good thing because it gives me challenges too, which I we need. need it. Yeah, we need one another, and so it is a lifeline. And as creative people, we really need to talk to other artists. And it, yeah, I mean, the part I other than being grateful for that lifeline and many of my students and myself included feel like the weekly classes are like this haven this sanctuary that we look forward to so much um but the other thing i love is like meeting people like you i mean i never i wasn't in touch with poets around the country or around the world until covid and doing these things and I really loved that. I found that the women poet group, you know, that that's how I found you on Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, that group has been so supportive. You know, I like everybody's everybody's cheerleader. There's no doesn't feel like it's a competition. It's actually a great way of finding out about resources. It's yeah. a great group. I, and I belong to some others as well, but you know, that's a that's a really nice group to belong to. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, there's there's a few on Facebook that I really love. And um, 
Yeah, but I think women are particularly good at supporting one another. Right. Yeah. I participate a couple times a year and it's called a poetry dive in. It's a for one month, one for a full month, twice a year, we get together and we just do a lot of free writing and just, you know, mm. and then we share it with one another and it's all kept, you know, sacred within the group. And a lot of the poetry that I've written in those groups has been published. Um, it's like I, it, I get to a whole other level is with my poetry when I work with that group. That's and right. it's, it's been amazing. So Is that usually in person, that one? No, it's all online. Um, online, oh wow. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's quite the group. The, the, the lady Jenna, she's she's just phenomenal and has a way of, of looking at the world that causes everybody to stop and think and, and look and search a little bit deeper. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm really happy with that that particular group. I've been involved in that community for at least a couple of years, so. Really That's wonderful. Yeah. Are you part of, on Facebook, are you part of the group called Cultivating Voices Live Poetry? I don't think so. I don't think that's one of mine. It's wonderful. Really oh. wonderful. I can, yeah, send you a link if you like. But I, it's very sure. supportive. Um, the woman who runs it, Sandy Yanone, does a weekly reading. Um, every Saturday or Sunday afternoon now I can't remember <laughs> but anyway yeah just so wonderful I really love that group so yeah it's great I participate on Friday noon um if I'm not somewhere else having to do something else but on Fridays at noon there's a group that originated out of Chapel Hill North Carolina but it's gone virtual and looks like it's going to stay that way for you know for quite a while but um, we get together at noon, start reading at 1230 for an hour, and we just take turns like round robin reading poetry. And mm -hmm. it's been a wonderful group. And we've had people from Africa, from Ireland, um, wow. all over the place. And that's all possible because of the pandemic. So, wow. you know, looking at the bright side of things, we're, you know, getting to meet people from all different cultures and I think it's, it's great and actually opens up that poet's eye. Yeah you know. yeah and you're in Chapel Hill yeah? No I'm actually in Raleigh. Oh um, you're in Raleigh. Okay. Mm -hmm. but we're yeah. all close to each other we're all right. about 30-45 miles from each other. So, right yeah. Yeah so. I had hoped originally I mean it's a it's this funny like coincidence that you and I connected because my original intention for the book for Fierce Aria was um, to do a series of mini road trips and one of the places that my husband and I wanted to do a mini road trip was North Carolina. Um, I have friends in Asheville and Chapel Hill and and all around there and so that was, we were going to fly there and rent a car and you know trying to line up readings at bookstores, but of course, all fell through. Right. Well, fortunately, virtual readings are you now possible at bookstores. So I'm keeping my eye out, you know, for folks if they want to do virtual readings, you know? Yeah. So far, I, I heard. Yeah. 
so far I've had a hard time. Like most most of the bookstores say, oh, we're so kind of overwhelmed. We're only doing <laughs> like the big name authors or authors with a big following locally or um but yeah. Well, yeah. you never know who's gonna be the next big name, you know. That is true. <laughs> it could be Matthew McCon, you know, she may be the one that everybody yeah. be looking for. And that'd be nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I, from what I see of your work and your passion that goes behind your words when you, you know, did your reading the other day. Um, yeah, I have no doubts um, about where you're going with your poetry. Uh, thank you. That's really lovely to hear. Are you working on another book? I am not directly working on another book. I'm always writing poems, but I'm not like creating a book, a manuscript yet. I really want to, um, but I'm not, I'm not yet sure about like, um, I'm kind of, I don't yet have any sort of theme or anything. Um, I'm just really writing sort of one-off poems uh, at this point and nothing has sort of emerged as any unifying mm -hmm. force um so yeah but i am writing also a book right now on creativity on on how to foster and sustain a creative life which is you know this kind of oh, area wow. work life so I'm, I'm pouring myself into that um also right now and and that's really that's really exciting yeah, I think with the um, again with with what's going on in the world that um, people are tapping in more to their creativity because they're home more. They're they're you know yes. have time to focus and you know work on projects and you know so I I think it's it's making a difference and it's probably a, it's timely for you to to do that book. So if that's the one meant for you to do. It, it's felt that way. I mean, I need, I wanted to share this knowledge beyond my classes, you know, for some time. And I started writing it last year and it felt so good to kind of funnel all of that information into one vessel and start to really organize it instead of it just being all these blog posts on my blog and to start to think about, you know, a real arc for the book that to take people through a process. So it does feel really good. And, and like you're saying, I've noticed that to my surprise in a way, but that people are really um, more, even more interested in their creative lives because mm -hmm. of COVID, because of the shutdown. It's like, um, I see that in my classes. It's like, like I said, it's like a lifeline for people, you know. Um, Do you think it causes people to maybe look more within themselves now? Yes, I think probably so. I mean, I think it's a funny thing, though. I don't know if you've noticed this, but like initially with the shelter in place or whatever, um, you know, there was this period where I think everything slowed down and many of us were like, oh, thank God. You know, <laughs> yeah. Rushing around and thank God it slowed down. And then it seemed like it ramped up, like with everything being online, in some ways I feel busier than ever, or I feel that um, I have to be very selective with my time or it rapidly gets too full because everything's mm -hmm. available. Do you have, are you experiencing that? 
Yeah, I, I probably bring a lot of that onto myself, but I, um, I have so many things that I, you know, like doing and fall is my energy time of the year. When it gets to be winter, I start slowing down a little bit. So it's like I get this burst in the fall. So yeah. that's when I try to start projects and then I maintain them over the winter. Yeah. 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 Are you, mm-hmm. it's your birthday in the fall? No, it's in August. It's in August. Okay. Well, but then, because I often find that like people's birthdays are kind of a natural turning point in the year for them. Yeah. And something kind of new energy comes in. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody has their time and fall is mine. And in spring is probably my other time of year. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, is there anything that you'd like to share that I haven't asked about or that you would like us to know as listeners out here in the world? Hmm. Um, that's a great question. Um, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think one one thing I can, you know, I can say about Fear Sorry about the book Um specifically is is that you know it has this strong musical thread through it um as evidenced by the title fierce aria and then you know (laughs) it's broken in these three sections that have musical indications i think of them as movements like in a classical piece of music um and and that's you know a lot of that comes from the fact that I am a musician, I play the violin, I was a composer, that's what I went to school for, and um, music has been really important to my life, and um, so there's that, there's that thread in there um, of music throughout the book, and, and I think that poetry is the language that is closest to music, you know, right by its nature and it's the language that is by its nature most closely speaking to calling forth our hearts and our souls and that's why I'm so drawn to it and it's also why I think we need it and it's been so kind of shoved aside in American culture, you know, other cultures like South American cultures and Russian culture, poetry is so central, right? It's it's really alive and vibrant. And in our culture, I think because of the way it's taught in schools, often people are like, I don't understand poetry. I don't like poetry. It's not for me. And I just want to encourage people to you know, give it another chance to reach out because I think we do need that that language that speaks to our hearts and speaks to our souls and awakens things in us that make life really worth living. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it it touches so many different aspects of life. You know, it it's it's not you know, necessarily sitting and writing something down, but it's a way of looking at things and examining things and sorting things out. And sometimes we're writing things that are poetry and we don't even realize that's what it is. Yes. 
Yeah, <laughs> so true. Well, yeah, that's another thing that I, you know, notice about people is even people who say, oh, I don't really read poetry or whatever, or I'm not that creative. At some point in most people's lives, surprisingly, at some point, they have written a poem spontaneously for some mm -hmm. reason. Yeah. You know, so there's something innate in us that wants to express that way creatively with language that naturally will play with language like that. And and especially when we're moved by strong emotion. And so, yeah, I, I always want to encourage people to, you know, not be afraid of poetry and and um, and to wade in. Exactly. Well, oh, Max, I want to thank you so much for meeting with me today. And Pleasure. I thank you again for doing that and for having me on this podcast. It's just really lovely. It's lovely to connect with you. And I thank you. We continue connecting. Yeah. And if you know any other poets that want to be on a podcast, have them get in touch with me. I will. That's okay. great. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I want to thank you so much. And you have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for the Prolific Pulse Poetry Podcast. This is Lisa signing off for this day. Bye-bye.